Since November 28, 1987, Kevin Williams has had a very heavy interest in radio. Now he's living his dream by doing a podcast. Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. We made a salve for Luke with the herbs that we had growing in the yard and on the mountain here on the hill behind us. And, and that was the basis of what we treated Luke, treated Val with too. We had made an herbal salve with all kinds of plants and things in it. Welcome to the LDS Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. Yesterday, I interviewed a very special guest, Laurie Westover. Now, it's going to say that it was May 3rd. That's the day I recorded it. However, if you look in the directory, it'll say that it was published on May 4th. That's because it was published on May 4th, because I had the anticipation of publishing it last night, but I didn't do it, and so I'm publishing it today. Laurie Westover was my guest. Now, some of you may know Laurie. Many of you are definitely familiar with Tara Westover. Tara Westover wrote a book called Educated. Well, Laurie wrote a book called Educating, and it's basically her story. And yes, she does talk about Tara and her book, but not as much as you would think. We didn't talk about Tara too much either in the podcast, but we had to a little bit because Tara Westover is a well-known figure and if you haven't checked out Tara Westover's book, you can do so. But I would highly encourage you to get Larie's story as well if you are going to read Tara's book. Now, Larie wrote a book called Educating, and you can get that at a couple places, Amazon.com as well as ButterflyExpress.net. We didn't get into it on this podcast, but we will on another podcast. But Larie Westover owned Butterfly Express. And then she sold it to her husband because of FDA rules and regulations that, oh, you can't teach while owning a store like Butterfly Express. So her husband now owns it, and Larie does some teaching at Butterfly Express. We do briefly mention that at the very end. For those of you that don't know, Butterfly Express is an essential oils company. And in the next podcast that we do, we'll get into how she got into Butterfly Express. Now, you're going to notice a couple things that are different in this podcast. Relay is my producer. You have probably recognized Relay on this podcast before, or at least her voice, because she does do the voiceover work on the LDS Life podcast. Well, I decided to move her into the producer position, and I think she's going to be a great producer. She already has been on another podcast that I do called Canning Plus 7. So when we talk about how do you feel to be on the podcast or how do you like it so far, that's what I was referring to. Also, you're going to notice that there's an email change. Why? Well, because the website is down because I'm planning to do a few things with the podcast and I'm in transition with some things. So you have a new email address that you can email me at it's the LDS Life Podcast at protonmail.com. Yes, that's right. The LDS Life Podcast at protonmail, P R O T O N M A I L dot com. Let's get on with the show. I'm really excited to talk a lot about herbs and education with Laurie. You'll find out what got her into homeschooling and the things that they've done for homeschooling. Let's get on with the podcast. 
By the way, this podcast is also divided into two parts as well as the whole entire podcast. That is in case you only have time to listen to certain parts of the podcast. So what I did is I had the whole podcast where this intro is, and I also have part one where we just talk about herbs and essential oils, Lucas's and Val's burns, and then I have part two where we talk about education, herbs, essential oils, and a little bit about antibiotics. So again, let's enjoy this exciting podcast with Laurie Westover and Relay as my producer. It is the LDS Life Podcast on Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. I know it's been a long time since I have done a podcast on the LDS Life Podcast feed, but we are here, and this is going to be a very special podcast indeed. Relay is my producer. I'm just going to introduce her really quick. She's from California, but no, she is not a liberal, so don't panic, folks. Uh, if those of you are conservative that are listening, she's from California originally, then moved to Grand Junction, Colorado, and raised her son there. And now she is in Utah. And Relay, how do you enjoy uh, being on my podcast so far? I enjoy it. It's fun to listen to the conversations that go on and be able to participate a little bit as well. So. Thank you yeah. for the opportunity. Absolutely. And I think uh, with some training and some other things, you will be a great producer. Um, that being Thank said, you. let's uh, get started. Now, many of you know Larie Westover. Say hi, Larie. Hi. Now, many of you know that Larie's daughter, Tara, wrote a book called Educated. Now, we're not going to talk mostly about Tara. We are going to mention her in the podcast, but I don't want this podcast to be exclusively about Tara. I want to talk more about herbs and education. And yes, we will mention Tara because if I don't, people are going to complain to me. Oh, by the way, you can go ahead and like this on Facebook. And I'm going to set a new email for the podcast because the website is down right now. But the new email address, providing I can get it set up, and I'll let you know in the intro of the podcast, Podcast at protonmail.com. That's ldslifepodcast at proton, P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. Um, Larie, go ahead and tell us how you and, well, actually, before we go there, tell us about your childhood. Anything significant that sticks out to you? Or do you have any pioneer stock or let's start there. Do you have pioneer stock and what? was good about your childhood well i definitely have pioneer stock my grandmother great-grandmother came over from denmark early on and they came here right next door down the road a couple of miles um they joined the on your mom's or your dad's side on my mother's side okay um dad's they came a little later on but um my mother my mother's grandmother of course, came over from Denmark early on. They settled in a little town called Swan Lake, just down the road from where we live now. Um, it was that hymn, Oh, My Father, that brought them into the church. Her dad was very opposed. 
to what she was investigating until he heard that song. He said, anybody who believes like that is worth following anywhere. <laughs> he proceeded to do so with his wow. entire family. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. That Relay, song is played to... at every family funeral. <laughs> oh, wow. Relay, I forgot to ask, do you have any pioneer stock? I do both mom and dad's side of the family. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Oh, good. So Lorraine, my uh, dad's what... side of the family, the man who came across the plains had his leg amputated on the way due to an accident. Oh my gosh. And We're going to talk about broken he, bones later in the podcast too, but go ahead. He became quite friendly with the Indians and in one Indian uprising, the fact that he had doctored one of the chief's sons uh, as an infant saved his own two sons life they returned his sons to him in the middle of oh, the wow. war so some okay. interesting stories in my genealogy so oh bet yeah well uh Lurie, go ahead and tell us about your childhood oh i should mention too by the way Lurie wrote a book the reason i have her on tonight is because she wrote a book called educating now tara the daughter wrote the book educated but Lurie wrote a book called Educating, and it's not necessarily a rebuttal against the book Educated by Tara, is it? No, I named it that, not really to strike at my daughter, but because educating has been what my life's been about. When I was a young primary child of 11, they gave me the youngest class to teach. Oh, wow. And shortly after that, they put me in charge of the primary music, and I led the music I've Teaching is what I've done all my life. Every church calling I've ever had has been teaching or teaching the teachers. <laughs> okay. That's been, that's who I am. So, so th th is there anything that sticks out to your childhood that you wish to talk about? I, I had an amazing childhood, you know, nearly perfect summer vacations and um, three day family reunions on dad's side. I had some cousins that I'm still close to. Um, we had a good time. It was, and my mother's philosophy was, if you run out of something to do, come home. And so she always had, you know, games we could do was always game to turn her kitchen over to teenagers and just have fun. And it was, that was what you did. You came home. Yeah. Your childhood sounded very wholesome reading. Now, one yeah. thing that stuck out to me Probably because I was one of these people at one point. It sounds like your dad was a devout BYU fan. <laughs> and I used to listen to BYU football very religiously when I was 10 up until I was probably about 14, 15. And I would, I, I'm not kidding. I would set aside Saturdays to listen to BYU football game. It got to the point where if I went into the, if I was going somewhere with my mom, I'd have her turn on the BYU football game. Now, I lived in Ontario, Oregon, and then Boise, Idaho, so we had to turn it to the affiliate there in Caldwell, Idaho, that was carrying the BYU games back in 1990 up until about 95 or so. When I stopped following BYU, just because I got so busy, but was your dad ever the rain man of BYU football or any BYU sport I for that matter? I don't ever remember him quoting statistics. Dad liked the personal stories. You know, I remember hearing stories of the, you know, this basketball player joined the church at this point. You know, he was always into the personal stories rather than the, 
than the statistics, but if dad was anywhere out in the yard, cleaning the garage, whatever, he had a radio, a little transistor, and you'd hear one sporting event or another playing pretty much all the time. He was quick to turn it off if, you know, as kids wanted to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Um, That always impressed me is that right in the middle of a game, if I said, dad, I got a question for you, you know, it was instant attention. So. Yeah, well, uh, my dad was a lot, much the same way. He loved to watch football. In fact, he had one time, he actually had a TV in the yard so that he could watch football while doing yard work. One of those uh, semi-portable TVs. I say semi-portable because it didn't have a battery in it, but it you could definitely plug it in in an outlet anywhere and watch TV. And my dad did that once, and I thought that was kind of cool. My father wasn't a sports fan either. So when they came to Provo when I was in college, of course, dad would go to the whatever game and with my brother and mother and I'd go shopping. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now, uh, let's talk about how you met Val and we'll uh, get into that. And then we'll talk about some other things. But uh, let's talk about and by the way, these are all things from the book Educating, by the way, that we're discussing here. You can get that on Amazon and ButterflyExpress.net. So, uh, Laurie, what, how did you and Val meet? Let's start there. Okay. Well, our senior year in high school, I took a job at a combination bowling alley restaurant. I know that sounds weird, but that's what it Not was. Really? It was a Those were bowling alley with then. a large dining room that, you know, the Lions Clubs and various places met. And he would come in there with the with various friends. And that's where we met. It was right there, our senior year in high school. And what inspired him to take you out, do you think? Because obviously there's a story there. Well, but that would kind of be his story, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, what's your version of the story? My version of the story is that he, I don't know, he just wanted to, but he knew I was dating another guy kind of seriously. And so he held on, kind of keeping an eye out. And one morning on his way to school, he turned around, went back home and called me. And that happened to be just after I had promised my parents that I would go out with the next guy that asked me, somebody different than the one I was dating. And lo and behold, within five minutes, he called and I said yes. And that was the beginning. All right. Now, you and uh, Val have something quite unusual that happened i have never heard of this happening in my entire life you two were engaged while he was serving a mission i would think that that would be very hard on you because me i would be scouting around other ladies and wondering who i should date if i was engaged to a sister missionary i don't know that i could last that long maybe it's just me i'd say oh so and so has a hot voice I don't know. I, I, I would sure want to date her. I guess it depends on how really devoted to her I was. I think the word you're looking for is commitment. We were very definitely, you know, matter of prayer, very committed. I'd done enough dating. I was at BYU and I had a couple of good roommates and it was great. I loved it. Focus on my studies, study the scriptures, study gospel, talk to you topics run around wherever i wanted to go travel a little bit figure out who i was without some guy telling me who i should be i just really had a good time it was a marvelous time for me i joined a byu um dance class it was dances of various cultures around the world and 
that was really fun because I discovered that BYU boys are leery to dance with the same girl in their dance class twice for fear she'll think there's something going on. But since I had that ring on my finger, I was safe for everybody. I, it was just, it was a good time. I, I just really enjoyed it. it was, of course, the second year I was done with BYU and had a job at a really nice computer company that was just lots of fun. Those, that was good days for me. I guess what would have driven me crazy, and maybe it's just me, I would just be thinking, okay, I hope she's going to like me when I came back, because what if I changed a whole lot, or I hope uh, things don't change too much. I guess that would be constantly on my mind, but it was never on your mind. Well, you know, the only thing really permanent about life is change. Of course, he would come home changed, but I still remember standing there in the airport between his parents, and he walked off that plane. And he'd found a cowboy hat. He had a cowboy hat on his head. And I thought, okay, that's a signal to me that while we've both changed, things are still the same. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I've talked to Val a few times. And as an interesting side note, I think I told you this, Lori, your husband sounds almost exactly like Clive and Bundy. <laughs> so uh, take that as you will. Uh, I think that's a good thing, though. Maybe so. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, so you, you're you engaged on your mission. Did it drive Val crazy, though? Because I, I think he'd be constantly wondering, or maybe not, oh, I hope Marie will still like me when I'm back. I hope, but I guess if you were that committed to each other. Well, uh, I don't think he really had much of a worry about that. I he didn't have to worry about his future, didn't have to worry about finding and deciding who to marry. Like I said, that word commitment kind of played in there. Yeah. We, Interesting. We just, and no, two years isn't that long when you know where you're going and where it's going to be. It well, just, there's one good thing about this story, though. Um, at least you didn't have to sing the song, Will I Wait for You, like the Saturday's uh, Warrior play, did you? <laughs> No. <laughs> or you didn't have to worry about getting Dear John because uh, you met somebody named Todd Richards or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or, or he didn't have to worry about it anyway. No, All he right. didn't have anything to worry about. All right. Uh, Relay, do you want to ask a question here? No, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm just, That's okay. I'm just listening. Okay. So. All right, so now we get into the fact that you had children and decided to become a midwife. What made you decide to become a midwife? Well, I kind of think it probably had a little bit to do with that, my own first birth experience. It didn't go the way I wanted it to so much. And when I got pregnant the second time, I was looking for other options. And just you want to talk about that, that first birth experience? Oh, not really. No. Okay. You'll have to read the book. <laughs> they had a rather out. understaffed night and they were busy and we kind of got left off in a little room, leg on flat on my back with a monitor across my tummy and not anybody checking on me or much of anything going on. And didn't seem like that was the way a birth should go. Okay. Just uh, ahead of the second birth, uh, a neighbor, a friend, an elders quorum president brought us the name of a midwife and we met with her and there we were off and running. Okay. And so from the time you had your first kid to the time you became a midwife, how long was that gap? 
Oh, I don't know. What, Tony was in the mission field. Oh, okay. Interesting. I spent a lot of time, though, you know, I was assisting and following the midwife around, you know, long before that as much as I could. So I don't know. It kind of a lot of years of training and a lot of years of following the midwife before I actually went off on my own. So, OK, very interesting. All right. So and uh, so you were not forced to become a midwife then you felt inspired and you and Val talked about it. And over time, you decided it was good. Val did not make you become one like other people would think. That's a strange way to word it. It was more like him having the confidence that I could do it. And then he was coming up with a little bit of money here and there so I could purchase equipment and purchase books and, you know, the gas money to travel around behind the midwife and encourage me to study and listen. And when I'd come home, he'd listen endlessly to my tales of what I'd read or heard or learned or seen, or did I feel pressured? Well, yeah, but the pressure wasn't coming from my husband. I knew that was one of the steps heaven wanted me to take. So husband's one of those, let's get in and get going, you know, let's get it done. And yeah, I've often said and meant it that I wished I'd supported his dreams as wholeheartedly and enthusiastically as he does mine. (laughs) No, there was, there wasn't any force. Well, I would imagine that he was home with the kids and the responsibilities, you know? Well, I would imagine that you would feel pressure in terms of, Oh, I got to get this done. Right. What's, what's going to happen if I do this wrong? I'm sure you felt those kind of pressure, especially back then when being a midwife, being a midwife was not cool. I don't know how it is now. Well, so did you feel that you had to prove yourself? I got to do this right so that people will trust me and the doctors will trust me. You know, it never was about money or fame or fortune or people looking at me. I really wanted women to have the best birth experience possible. And once I had my home birth baby, the peace and the quiet and the spirit there and the way, you know, you just want to do that. You want to do that for other people. And I, yeah, there certainly wasn't a financial reward to it. back then. Because, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, so what, uh, what uh, spiritual experiences did you have with giving birth? Or I'm sure that because you indicated in your book that you felt the spirit a few times. Well, Among my midwife friends and assistants and the lady I followed around, we used to refer to it as walking in a shaft of white light. The spirit was just there. It was a calm and beautiful experience. And you knew that, you know, you'd studied, you'd read, you'd done everything you could. And if you'd missed something, the spirit would teach you and talk in whole sentences if it needed to. I've been on births where I mentioned this one in my book or when you and I've talked before that cord wrapped around that baby every which way around the neck up through the crotch around the chest and several places where a a tight cord pulling could have caused that baby damage and I watched a group of women all reach for a different place little fingers slipping under that cord and taking the pressure off it while the midwife clamped and cut nobody reached for the same place nobody stumbled over each other nobody said a word you just acted in unison just the way it was. So I assume uh, being a midwife, you probably had um, assistance with you, correct? Oh, yes. 
Okay. Yes, it's more than a one person job. <laughs> so. Yeah. So what is more, well, do you find it more spiritual than the hospital? Because not everybody is quickly pacing around the room and doing this and that, and you're hooked up to monitors. What do you think makes it a spiritual experience as opposed I, to? I think one of the things is that the husband, I mean, I guess he's there in the hospital too, but the husband is right there. He's to work. He's holding pressure points that need to be held. He's supporting his wife. He's walking around with her. Um, sometimes he's holding points, holding up the belly. Sometimes the husband and wife are just quietly, quietly working together. I've seen a similar situation between two sisters and the midwives are there to keep track of things, there to check on things, there to make, but no, you're as I used to tell my assistants, if a lady recognizes you later, you weren't doing it right. Your, oh. your background, you're there. No, this is a husband and wife thing. This is for their, they're there to make sure everybody's safe and that it turns out well, but you're not there to be center stage. By the way, this is not to say that an OBGYN doctor cannot feel the spirit while delivering a baby in the hospital room. I'm sure that's one has, so don't come at me saying, well, oh, I no. had a spiritual experience in the hospital. Yeah, I'm sure you have. If, oh, I'm sure. If you've done, but this is, you know, Larie's story in her book. So we're going to go off of the book here. Um, yeah, so you've been, uh, do you want to talk about the most spiritual experience you had as a midwife? Or have they all been about the same? Oh, no, there's a lot of variety, but I don't know how you'd pick the most because every birth is its own experience. Okay. Our little, our little boy that was born one pound, four ounces. That was a rather spiritual experience. Sitting back and watching these two sisters working together was quite the experience. Working with a woman who'd had two forceps deliveries, pretty horrendous. And, and watching that come down very quickly and, and softly and, well, a little excitement. Can I tell you a story? Yes. All right. This one lady, she'd had two forceps deliveries and the babies had not gotten a really good start as far as nursing and things. And she decided to try for a home birth. And so we spent a lot of time working on diet, working on exercise. And she went clear to her due date for the first time. She was all antsy and not knowing what to do. And she said, well, haven't you got some kids in a play local? And I did. There were two of the boys were playing Tin Man and Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. And so I gathered her up with her two children and we went to the Wizard of Oz. So there we were at 1030 that night and no sign of labor and she's had a good evening and dropped her off and came to my house and towards morning before the sunlight before the sunrise we get this frantic phone call. Her and her husband have gone for a walk in the park across the street from their house. It was probably two blocks square and they'd made it back through the door. Labor had gotten started and got really going. They called me frantically. I can get out the door in less than two minutes usually. And I drove 17, 18 minutes to her. As I ran up the front walk, I had a big picture window ceiling to floor. And I could see the dad standing behind the mother, kind of holding her up. And the little teenage sister of the mother kneeling in front of her. They were on a pile of nice, clean, washed towels. And I cleared the door just as the little teenager held up the baby and said, oh, look. Now, what do I do? <laughs> um, precious experience. I took over from there. Mom and dad were elated. 
no tears, no much bleeding, just mom and baby tucked in quietly and calmly and no little excitement, but you know, <laughs> preparation. She had done what I told her. She had eaten what she was told. She had exercised, she'd walked. They, she had done what she was asked to do. And the difference in the first two births and that third one were pretty amazing. Yeah. Now, one thing. Home birth is an experience you earn. <laughs> it's not something you just stumble into. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you had to do a ton of preparation on that. Oh, the mothers had to do the preparation. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm sure that you had to do a ton of studying and you probably studied night and day, I would imagine. <laughs> there was a lot. A, You'd yeah. be surprised the size and the detail of some of the books I yeah. Well, let's talk about herbs and essential oils. And then this is going to lead right into something that was dramatic between you and Val when you first got married. And we'll talk about broken bones. But first, I want to talk about herbs and essential oils. Now, something that I read that uh, you told me here over the phone as we were preparing for this podcast, as I read in the, your book, you can feel the spirit through essential oils. And I guess I'm a little confused here because all I do is put essential oils on. I don't pray about it or anything and they work. Uh, explain that because you made it sound as though, at least when we were talking over the phone, that you should pray about the oils or something to that effect and that you should show gratitude for the oils. And I don't do any of that. I just put it on and I'm not saying it's magic. It doesn't heal me right then and there, but certainly helps over time. So explain that. Well, you know, in the front of the oil book, we wrote a, a, a little part there and there's a couple of points made there and you mentioned gratitude and that's a very important part. I think if you have gratitude for the essential oils for the loving creator who established the world that, so that the things we need are available to us. Uh, gratitude just comes home to me in a myriad ways over the years. If you're grateful, everything works better. And be grateful. It's an example of God explaining to us what's best for us. He can do without our gratitude pretty well. But, you know, those herbs and oils, maybe the rocks and minerals too, I don't know personal messages from our heavenly father. Sometimes we don't always listen to what he says. And so he endows these plants with various things. If you've ever smelled a rose oil, it's very, very loving, very kind. Daffodil oil. I smelled one of those for the first time just a few weeks ago. And it almost smells like sunshine. It just makes you want to dance. It makes you want to want to be happy. And just you know, they affect us on a vitamin and molecular level too, but they bring peace and wisdom. And it's just an amazing thing. They're living things. And they, that's just the foundation of herbal medicine is that each plant exemplifies the attributes of a loving heavenly father and can help us sweeten and soften our own natures. So okay, I'm going to ask you about the oils that I use constantly. This is not a uh, plug for essential oils, by the way, but... Okay. What about frankincense, lavender, and tea tree? <laughs> well, let's start with frankincense. That's mentioned in the Bible. Yes, it is. It was an oil used to anoint kings or to prepare them for their death. Um, 
lavender. Lavender is probably the most common oil in the world. Um, it's not, oh, I don't know. Lavender is the greatest thing I know of for burns and to treat other skin conditions. Tea tree, it's, a, it's an oil that'll deal with infections and things like that. I don't like the smell of tea tree, so I have a few other oils I like just as well. But yeah, you've picked three good ones. Okay, so what I want to know, though, is if an oil smells too strong in your mind, is that an example of the Lord being firm with his people in your, if an oil <laughs> smells very strong to you? I don't know. It's probably more. Their essential oils are distilled and they are very concentrated. It can take hundreds and hundreds of blossoms to make just a tiny amount of oil. So they're going to be strong. If it doesn't smell strong, someone's watered it down with a carrier oil. You don't have pure oil. They're designed to be intense. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering if you found a correlation uh, between that and whatever, you know, God's firm love or whatever. If, um, well, well, part of it is that different oils speak to different people differently. I've never been real fond of the smell of rose oil, but I love jasmine, and they're both very potent, very strong. I, I don't know. Different people like different oils at different times. Yeah. Sometimes the very fact that an oil doesn't smell good to you is an indication that you need it, that whatever emotional thing it's bringing up needs to be faced and prayed about it and moved on past. Okay. Well, speaking of essential oils, you've had some pretty dramatic experiences with burns. Let's talk about Lucas's burn. You wrote about this in your book, and you wrote about how Lucas was... Uh, doing something and he forgot that his pants had gasoline and he lit a torch, I think, to get the gasoline out of the tank or something to that effect. I can't remember. I think he was he just carried a little gas gas can up there and it, some of the gas leaked onto his pant leg and he was waiting for his dad to get ready to leave. And he lit a cutting torch up in the scrapyard to cut up some and it lit his pants on fire. Ouch. Yeah. So just reading about it was pretty dramatic, but. Uh, what, what did you, you used mostly lavender, I think, and some other herb. And how did you deal with that? Because it was pretty dramatic. Well, well, I'll tell you, okay. I came yeah. up the driveway. I'd been off gathering some herbs that day. I came up the driveway and my son is standing on the front lawn with his leg in a garbage can. And he stands up on the little chair next to it and lifts his leg out of the garbage can and yeah, it was kind of frightening looking. There he was wrapped in a little serape with a big hat on his head. And and he was waiting for mom, my husband who had been there and, and had him set up. And had you gone back up to set the put out the fire on the hill? And yeah, we dumped some lavender oil in there and sat up with him all night. Kept his leg in the water with lavender during that first night. Now, I usually don't have a problem with blood and injury, but gosh, that was my son. And I can honestly say that when it came time to change, change dressings, I could get busy somewhere else while my husband took care of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, looking back now, we didn't have a lot of essential oils. That was early in the essential oil days. But he's he healed well, practically no scarring at all, full use of the leg, he even grows hair on that leg. 
And he tells us frequently that he's really grateful that we had enough sense and enough courage to trust and treat it the way we did instead of call to a burn center. Yeah. How long did it take for his leg to heal? (laughs) Before the skin had totally grew back was several months, but before the summer was over, he put a garbage bag over his leg and swung off a rope into the lake, the local lake here. So, you know, but it was, it was quite a while before the skin grew back. You'd see little patches and then the patches would join together and turn into real skin. Yeah. Now, speaking of Burns, you had, and I know you didn't want to get into this too much because you said it was his story, but it is in the book, Educating. Well, uh, can you tell back, us? A, oh, what's back that? With Luke. Luke, we bought, we made a salve for Luke at, with the herbs that we had growing in the yard and on the mountain here on the hill behind us. And, and that was the basis of what we treated Luke, treated Val with too. We had made an herbal salve with all kinds of plants and things in it. Comfrey was one of the main things, plantain. Of course, we added a little bit of essential oil to each batch too. So we had the best of best of both worlds. Treated. Yeah. yeah. Miracle sat. My husband was burned from the waist up pretty much thoroughly. And yet we had no infection, maybe a tiny little bit on one ear. So we just paid closer attention to making sure he didn't sweat the salve off his ear. <laughs> no, there was never any infection, any fever, anything to worry about. The salve, the salve with the herbs and the oils kept the infection. It was never a problem, either for Luke or Val. And infection is quite often the biggest fight with a burn. Well, yeah, let's talk about Val's burn for a minute, uh, for a little bit. Um, it sounded real, more dramatic than Lucas's burn. And a lot more, a lot more area covered. Yeah. (laughs) What's that? It was a lot more burned area on my husband than there was on Luke. Oh yeah. And the way that it was described in the story, it sounds very dramatic as far as almost burnt down into his esophagus or something and pretty dramatic. there's, There's pictures in the book of him. You know, when an explosion goes off like that, you would instinctively gasp in and inhale we had Luke's burns were totally external. Val's were not. So they mm-hmm. were a little more of a, and like you say, it was a traumatic experience, but my, it was also some tender moments and family gathering. And, you know, there, it was a good time, traumatic, but spiritual and treasured experience. It's quite something yeah. for a couple. Um, real quickly there here. And I do want to get into this a little bit, the spiritual aspect. Uh, how did Val get burnt? was cutting the gas tank off a, off a car, an old junk car that he, we have a scrapyard up on the hill and he was preparing a car for being scrapped. And he'd done that a lot of times and he knew what he was doing. I don't know exactly what happened except that it went boom. Okay. Yeah. And so there was a part in your book where because you you were apparently confident enough that you could heal this burn. Well, I don't want to say the word heal, but you could uh, alleviate it almost to the point of getting rid of it. I guess you did get rid of it. Um, I can't use the word heal or the FTC or the FTA, FDA would come after me. You haven't me, but... met my husband, have you? He doesn't look like a man who's been burned. <laughs> a little scarring on a hand and 
if you knew him before, there's a little difference in shape of ear, but no, you wouldn't notice, you wouldn't think bird if you looked at him. Okay. Well, the point is, is it was very spiritual. I guess he was uh, wondering, he was wondering if he should go to the hospital. He, he prayed about it and said, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. And he asked your kids about it, including your son-in-law. Well, they and, gathered as a family and each one said, Turk turns saying a prayer. And then one was chosen to express the feelings of us all. So. Now, if one of you, or let's say two or three of you, decided he should go to the hospital, what would have happened? Well, Val has said he would have gone. What he wanted was family unity. Yeah, okay. That was the most important thing. So, And that was a, it sounds like, according to your book, that was very spiritual, and you put a whole bunch of lavender and a whole bunch of herbs on there. The miracle and... salve we used on Luke's leg, only we went through seven gallon in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had some big, large ice packs and we'd put wet towels and it would heat those. I mean, we're talking, what, two feet by foot and a half ice packs. And we'd lay those on cold, wet towels against his body and it would heat him through. And you can't believe how fast. I mean, his, his body put off heat for 48 hours or so. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And how long did it take? to have to have him where he was not monitored all the time it sounds like he was monitored 24 hours a day seven days a week for at least two or three months is what it sounded like in the book there you know i wish i could tell you how long it had been but you know i kept notes of what i was using for him and different things but the notes say wednesday or wednesday afternoon or friday afternoon but i had a dear friend that came she was working here part-time but she just came and moved in and I don't know two three weeks down the road I looked at her and I said you know I really should cover you some wages you've just been here full-time for a whole week and she just smiled gave me a hug and said well it's a little more like three or four weeks you know things were busy we you, yeah there wasn't a lot of time to sit and think about what day of the week it was and what was going on in your life you know it was a yeah. So I don't know. If okay. you ask him, you know, how long did it take him to be healed? He'd tell you, well, he's not completely. There's still a little, little struggles here and there. So. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Val, you had a pretty dramatic experience when you, or shortly after you got married, he broke his foot, and I guess something the cast wasn't working for some reason and so you took the cast off and put a whole bunch of oil of uh, herbs on there i guess uh, from a doctor's uh, recommendation go ahead and tell us about that yeah he broke his leg the first time just before we got married just right after christmas walking across walking down some steps on campus and so he had that cast off in time for us to get married and shortly after after that, he rebroke that leg in the same place, and it shouldn't have broke there. It wasn't enough of a blow to do that. And one of the doctors that lived in our ward was one of the medical men for the, the college football team, and he was explaining to us how the college athletes they don't they don't put a cast on it; they keep it open so that it can be. They take it off, off and on, so they can massage it at least once a day and work with it. 
And so that's what we did with the second break. We soaked his leg in comfrey and other herbs and left the cast off. And it healed. It healed well that time and faster. What about, though, something dramatic, like somebody broke a femur bone? I would imagine the cast would be on there all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until the doctor said, okay, you can take that cast off. That's the way the medical world does it. And if you're a man that has to be up moving and making a living, I guess you're kind of stuck working that way. But if you can lay down and take care of it and work with it the way it should be, it'll feel better and faster. Would you ever, though? you got to uh, hold it still. you got to keep the bone in place. You can't be, you can't be messing with it. It's got to stay in place. So you'll be la- wrapping it and bracing it. And, but you want something you can remove and, and reach it, too. And yeah, but like would you me, ever, if somebody broke a cast is on that first week or two, a femur bone? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty, I know people who've broken a femur bone and wow, um, seemed to me, and this is just me speaking, that the cast did wonders, even though it was a pain to be in that thing for six weeks or three months or whatever. Well, I definitely want to cast it and I'd want to keep it there till that bone had started to knit and then they'd have to hold very still. You'd have to, yeah, you don't want to be re-breaking a bone. No, you don't. You gotta be yeah, but- properly. The incident that I'm thinking of, the guy was in the hospital. This is back in 1985. He was in the hospital and came out and he was in a wheelchair while in a cast. In fact, he came over to see us and he was in a wheelchair and we had to do a little bit of adaptation to, to let him get around. And this, I think he broke his arm, his femur bone in June or July of 85, I think. I think it was mid-June and... His cast didn't come off until, gosh, late August, maybe even early September. How well, would you I certainly didn't that? see that, e- that x-ray, but it would depend on compound fracture, how much damage there'd been, how many breaks there was to the bone, how, you know, poking through the skin, how much damage had been done to joints nearby. There's a lot of factors besides just a broken bone. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you uh, if you knew someone like that or a family member had a broken bone like that and they were into herbs and all, would you have used essential oils? Took we haven't dealt with any breaks that bad, but you definitely want to be taking the herbal teas with the comfrey and different things to aid aid the healing of the bone. Yeah, yeah. the The bones we've had broken once they were realigned, they they stayed where they were put. They we haven't had those kind of fractures like you're talking about with that guy or even walking with the cast was not allowed. No, that's beyond anything we've done for breaks around here. Okay. Cause I, I do have a story and I, I can actually remember the date of this October 5th, 1988. I broke my arm and it was very dramatic. And when you're eight years old, it's worse than when you're 20 in terms of emotional and everything. I, I just knew I was hurt. I was hoping it wasn't a broken bone. And, you know, like it was really bad. My mom took me to the emergency room, said a prayer for me, and they were going to pin my arm, but they, I don't know why they decided not to at the last minute, they decided not to, but do you remember those real thick plaster casts that they used to have? Yes. Yeah, I had one of those on and I hated every minute of it. And it actually did swell up my hand. 
So we had to go to the hospital the next day and they cut some of it off. And I, I, when I was reading about these broken bones, I kept thinking, how would Larie deal with my broken bone? Because it was pretty bad. Like I said, they were going to pin it and they decided not to, but it was in this real heavy cast. I remember waking up and I could feel the plaster, the wet plaster. It was obviously drying. And I had, they said that I was going to have it on for six weeks. Fortunately, I think I only had it on for about three weeks, probably. But I just, I couldn't help but wonder, how would you have handled that? We would definitely have left the cast in place for a time. But the, mm-hmm. the secret to it would have been the herbs being given internally to help it heal faster. I mean, huh. comfrey is an amazing herb internally. Really? Interesting. It'll, it'll create a healing situation that's much faster than you would expect. Now, I know with your daughter, Valerie, uh, she had two casts on and you never did take the, well, what herb did you use, by the way, to help your, uh, to help Val heal? Maybe you told me, but I can't remember. For the bone, comfrey yeah. would be my number one. Yeah. In the herb book that I wrote, there's a recipe for BHM and it's got several good herbs in it, but comfrey is your key one for that far and away. Okay. Now. Um, and calcium is the secret to that one. Okay. So would you have would you have me drink a lot of milk or just do the herb? <laughs> no. <laughs> Different kind of calcium. The best calcium is in green growing things. Gosh, I broccoli really? over milk. Because okay. <laughs> I know there's a big debate whether pasteurized milk is bad for you, good for you. There's this big debate we shouldn't be drinking milk at all. Um, I'm a milk lover myself and I'm a milk lover too, but I don't <laughs> Oh, that I consider it a health food. Yeah. <laughs> I do love it. I remember my brother said, the reason you broke your bone is because you didn't drink enough milk. Oh, how oh much? okay. So I drink a lot more milk. <laughs> Eat um, more salad. No. <laughs> drink more comfrey. Yeah. Uh, so why did you not, because uh, you, t- you talked in the book about your daughter, Valerie, and how... She broke her arm. I guess she broke her leg or something while sliding down the spiral slide. She broke her her arm first the morning of my sister's wedding. And we had it cast because it needed it. And then a few days later, I took her to see my sister when she was home from her honeymoon. And she was living on campus in the student housing. And there was this little play yard out front. Next thing I knew, my little girl in the cast had climbed to the top of a circular slide and come down it, cast on the side she should have been hanging on with. She hit the bottom, cement pad, and broke her leg at the same time. You know, what are you going to do with a four-year-old that hasn't got any sit still in her to save her soul? Never did have, still doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't keep her still. You've got to keep a cast on it. There's, there's no yeah. choice. Was it a heavy, thick plaster cast? Well, all the casts back then were kind of the heavy, thick plaster. Those were so annoying, weren't they? Or a more modern thing. Could you imagine being in one of those hot, in one of those thick plaster casts in 100-degree weather? They're no fun in the cold either. Really? (laughs) Well, (laughs) do you remember the time uh, my husband went snowmobiling with his cast on? It got pretty cold. Oh, okay. I guess I just never, I guess it just never affected me because October is kind of in that time where it's transitioning between warm and cold. 
And whenever I was out in 70, 80 degree weather, it never affected me, but I could just imagine if I was out in a hundred degree weather. Oh my. Not to mention when you would cut those casts off, your arm would stink really bad of sweat for all those weeks that it was in the cast. You remember I would that? know. I've never had a broken bone. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Anyway, so I guess I don't know if I should get into this or not. I guess Val currently has, or not Val, Valerie has a broken bone right now, but it's doing well, I guess. And oh, yeah, yeah, she hasn't even mentioned it lately. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she took the cast off because of swelling, but I guess she's taking. She has a good brace and... with it, with metal. And oh, okay. She's okay. got it braced very well. So. Okay. Well, let's talk about, let's get into herbs a little bit more. Uh, what is your favorite herb? And I'll let you take it over from there. Oh, that'd be like asking what's my favorite vegetable. Oh, I was going to say it would depend on rather I'm having a kidney infection or a migraine, you know, <laughs> it's just, no, no. Yeah. one, one or fits all. There isn't really one comfrey comes close, but. Well, I want to get into one of my all-time favorite conversations, and this is a topic that I think we can spend hours and hours and hours on. We're actually going faster in this podcast than I had anticipated, but that's good. Uh, well, education. You know, oh, what? Let, let me talk, speak to this herbal thing. You know, the one thing yeah. I am leery of, not my favorite herb in the world, but any herb that claims to do everything, I'm going to be really leery of that herb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, your herb is depending on some herbs are like I when I wrote my book, it was like, this is my favorite herb for this. And this is my favorite herb for that. When I found that I couldn't even do it there and the same herbs kept turning up, you know, in one, one place and in another. But you now you learn your herbs by system of the body they affect or you learn them by what vitamins and minerals they contain and how that vitamin and mineral affects the body. It's, you know, you, you better, you better know a few herbs, not just one favorite one. Well, I would imagine too, and I've had this discussion with people who are really big into essential oils, who know a whole lot more than me, you know, a whole lot more than me, but I had this discussion and I would imagine it's the same with herbs. People say, you know, I know somebody who knew somebody that used essential oils to help them get over strep throat. And she told me, you have to use it just like medicine. You have to take it, you know, you have to use this 10 days, twice a day, just like you would medicine is the same true with herbs. If you're trying to get over an illness or strep throat or something like that. It's the same true. No, you don't take it till the end of the bottle. You take it until your body's own healing capacity takes over. But a lot of times why you're ill is a nutritional deficiency to start with and how fast that herb will work will depend on how deep that nutritional hole was. When you fill the nutritional hole, your body will be able to do what it's designed to do. And that is take care of itself. So how long are you going to take the herb? If you're taking it for nutrition, you may take it for the rest of your life. I like to drink herbal teas just for the nutrition sake mm -hmm. of them. But when I'm ill, I'll take an herb that has a reputation for fighting infection or making my kidney work a little better or whatever I might happen to need. So it'll, it'll totally depend. 
No, yeah, there's so very little correlation between an antibiotic and an herb. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying, okay, because you're saying I don't have to take this herb 10 days straight, twice a day, like I would a pill to get over strep throat or whatever. The oh, infection if it's something is. like strep, you better be taking that infection fighting herb and you better be taking it pretty faithfully. Yes. Yeah. But you're okay. not going to have to worry about the side effects because it'll treat it like a vegetable. Your body will simply discard the excess. Interesting. Okay. And just real quick here before we move on to education, have you ever used an herb to, to treat strep throat or something like that? Yes. Okay. Many and, times. And did you have to take it, let's say, 10 days straight, two times a day, or how did you do it? Well, I drank it as a tea. I took it in a capsule any way I could. I haven't had an antibody in 30 years. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. I always treat things with herbs. And where do you draw the line? Because I personally think that there has to be a balance between where do you draw the line between essential oils, herbs, and an antibiotic? <laughs> like I said, I don't do an antibiotic. Okay. Um, when as a midwife, I insisted that my women have a backup doctor in case we needed it. And I think you, you know, there are times if you haven't done your education or you put off taking the herb, you didn't deal with something, you let something get bad, perhaps there are those who would resort to an antibody. Hasn't happened here in the last 30 years. So, okay. Um, yeah, it just depends on how much you know and what supplies you have on hand and how fast you got on it. Now, are your kids into herbs as much as you are? I know Tara's not, but what about your other kids? Tara's taken her batch of herbs. They, she got sick a few years ago and sent home for a whole pile of things because she'd used all of her stuff on her boyfriend. But oh, really? yeah, Valerie's very much into it. Most of my kids are to you know, some extent, at least more, some more than others. But Is your son-in-law, your daughter-in-laws, are they into it as much as you are or Valerie? Son-in-law certainly is Valerie and Daniel. Okay. Luke and his wife are definitely herbal. Huh. Um, Tyler, somewhat. Richard, somewhat. Yeah. Pence, Tony's. Yeah, they're all somewhat. Okay. You know, as I read your book, and this is a side note, and then we'll get into education. I couldn't help but wonder what you were eating every day for meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. As you, I can tell that you're very holistic. It would have been very interesting to stay with you for a week to see what you were eating. Well, we'd get up in the morning and have whole wheat pancakes. Mostly. Oh, those are good. I love those. I also like the multigrain pancakes. Go ahead. Yeah, multigrain pancakes. And while breakfast was cooking, I would usually fill a crock pot with a roast or potatoes and carrots or a big stew or, you know, something, because it's a lot easier to homeschool the kids if dinner's already cooking itself. Oh, yeah. I'd often fill two crock pots. There'd be one for dinner, one for supper. And you'd just do that while the kids were doing their schoolwork around the kitchen table. You prepared the meal as you went. We didn't eat sugar much back in those days. A 10-pound bag would last forever. Yeah, what did you use? Because I'm sure you had to bribe your kids. Oh, you can have this. You can have cake, but you got to have this. How did you handle that? Because kids love sugar. My, my dad was hyperglycemic, and my mother learned to imitate just about anything the ward could come up with for a dinner. And I cooked mostly with honey. Honey was the big thing. We use a lot of agave now. I'm experimenting with monk fruit at the moment. Um, yeah, we 
Yeah, we had cakes and treats and goodies. They just weren't made with sugar. Really? That would have been very interesting to stay a week at your house to see what it was like. I'd be, I would have been, I still would be very curious. We're going to move on to education. What made you decide to homeschool your kids? Because I know before you were, um, you know, they were in public school and then some went to high school and public school, whatever. What made you decide to homeschool your children? Well, I guess I'd always wanted to. I didn't really like the idea that my kids were going off and somebody else was having all the good fun of watching them learn. Yeah. I, you know, why, why would you want to do that? Well, yeah. <laughs> I know my mom told me that she came close to homeschooling me. I sometimes wonder what, it would, what would have happened if she actually did it. Of course, you could probably argue she homeschooled me part a lot of the times because she made sure I got my homework done, did a lot of ex- explaining to me. So you could probably argue. It's a lot she was a part time kid with homework than it is to teach them when they're in the morning first thing when they're anxious to learn. And, you know. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how it was with me, and then I will ask you about Lucas because this will get right into Lucas okay. here. Well, actually, before we go there, what was your day? What was your schedule like when you decided to homeschool your kids? What was your day to day schedule like? Because I would imagine. With all those kids, you it was hard to homeschool, period. Well, first thing in the morning, when they first got up, we'd read scripture. And while I was cooking breakfast and the kids, I think as far as you mentioned, Luke and his learning disabilities, learning to read the scriptures, I think, was one of the most important things. So the first thing we did was the scripture reading together. And then they would do their chores, either inside the house or outside the house. And when they got that done, then they could pursue their own interests and projects. And the kids always had a lot of projects going on. Schoolwork came right after the chores. And, you know, different kids were different. The basics rarely took longer than noon or slightly after. If they got dawdling, they could drag it out for a while, but they had things they wanted to do and things they wanted to be part of. And we had charts and we had little graphs and we'd sit down, you know, as a family and they would plan their schoolwork, what they wanted to get done, how far through each book they wanted to be by certain dates. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it was just what we did. And kids, and if I was working with one child, an older one would come along. I remember working with Luke. And Tony came to me and said, Mom, Richard and Valerie, you're both ready to learn to read. Well, Richard wasn't yet four. And I think, well, I'm a little busy right now. If it's important to you, work with him. And the next thing I knew, he had Richard reading well. You know, it was just, wow. <laughs> you know, he could read fluently by the time he was four. They tried to show him off in primary. And, of course, he got a little stubborn. And Grandma whispered something in his ear. And suddenly he could read well right there in front of the whole primary. But... <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know in your book, you mentioned, I think it was one of your kids was sick a lot going on the bus. I think that was. Oh, uh, that was Tyler. Tyler, the boy Tyler. Number three. Okay. They were busing him about 10 miles and he didn't get along well with the bus. And when he'd come home, he'd be, you know, he, we pulled him out first. And then the other two shortly after that, just a few weeks. Their okay. school was only a mile away, but his was down the road a ways to kindergartens in Weston. 
So, yep, I figured I could teach him the alphabet and to read as well as they could and the next yeah. year. The, and that kind of, you know, we'd always wanted to and we talked about it, but it kind of took that little push to to get me going. Okay, so I here's watching how I my was. husband lay oh, on the ahead. floor and read encyclopedias to him. He turned the page. Who wants to know about this and who wants to know about that? That first couple of days while I was pulling a curriculum together and getting ready to roll. You know? Okay, so I'm going to tell you about me and we'll tie this right into Luke. This is a very interesting story. And quite frankly, I like this story. <laughs> I was a stubborn kid. I hated reading. I hated writing. I suppose if I could read the scriptures or read about a radio station, that would have been different because when I was a kid, oh, all my life, I loved the radio. I would come home from school and instead of watching TV, I would listen to the radio, particularly the local radio station in Ontario, Oregon, KSRV, which was around, well, still is, but it was much different back then. It was very local. And I just loved the radio. I could have a whole, I used to, my sister was friends with a guy in high school that worked for the radio station. I used to ask him all these technical questions. He didn't know the answer. And so I just was glued to the radio. My parents would be out doing something and I'd be home alone listening to the radio. I loved the radio. That's all I ever wanted to do was listen to the radio or play outside with my friends. I didn't like schoolwork at all. And given a choice, oh, do you want to do schoolwork or listen to the radio? Listening to the radio all the time. So how would you have handled that uh, if I was your son, eight, seven, eight years old? Well, first of all, there were rules. You did schoolwork. And secondly, find something they were interested in. I, I used to hide with a book. I mean, gosh, you know, that was the big part of the day was to study to learn something new to there was always things to be learning and my kids seemed to catch that luke struggled to learn to read but all my kids love to read and they read a lot i mean there's always something new to learn i can't mm-hmm. imagine so not what would liking you, school what would you have done with me someone that was listening to the radio all the time and hated reading and writing and I would probably have used those books to teach you from and the programs you were listening to. And and I'd have been out scouring for different things that you could listen to that were educational. And then I'd be writing little tests on the subject that taught you what you might have missed listening to it. So I there was a country song that came out uh, when I was starting to really listen to the radio a lot called Face to Face with Alabama. So would you have gotten me a book on the country group Alabama or would you have would you have done something like that to keep me interested in reading? I don't think I would have had to do that with one of my kids. They'd have been bringing the book to me to tell me about Alabama. So oh. <laughs> they'd have been boring me to tears. You know? Yeah, I'm just thinking with me, is that what you would have, if you would have, if I said, oh, mom, I heard this great song on the radio face to face by Alabama. Would your first instinct go, oh, I want Kevin to learn to read. Maybe I'll check out a book, a Braille book, or figure out how to get a Braille book about Alabama, the country yeah, group. probably what I would have done. You know, our son okay. Richard was an obsessional learner. He would take an interest in something, and that's the only thing he wanted to do. You design the math programs around it, whatever. If he was studying animals, next thing you know, he's checked out 
20 books at a time. And he's drawing all the animals. And then he's drawing all the animals with just their bone structure or just their muscle structure. Then he's drawing all their habitats. Why would you get in the way of that? And as he told the librarian once, she said, you've now read every book in the children's library about animals. Do you want me to send for some at the state library? And he looked at her like she was crazy and said, no, I'll study something else. And he was <laughs> off and running, you know, um, studied space. He studied for a while there. You couldn't move any round object anywhere on the farm because it was some planet that he placed in place. Going, you know, one, when he hit college the first time, when he realized there were going to be midterm tests, as he put it, I've completely studied three books. Mom and I haven't even opened the other three. And I uh -oh. laughed at him and said, you're going to have a long weekend then, aren't you? <laughs> he, he did well in all six subjects. He was fine. But no, it's just, he's still that way. His wife laughingly tells me that you can't buy him a puzzle more than a thousand pieces because he won't go to bed till he's got the whole thing put together. That's, so wow, I'd imagine... That, don't interrupt oh. their obsessional learning. That's how they're learning the fastest and the best. <laughs> so I'd imagine back to my radio, you'd probably get me books on radio, how radio waves work. And maybe you would have me, maybe you'd devise a math program around radio waves so I could learn I'd math. I probably found you some jobs to do around the house so you could save some money so you could buy yourself a microphone and learn how there to you work. Go. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Take it, that okay. interest. Yeah, I, I was, I had a major obsession with the radio as a kid, even on to my young adult years. All I wanted to talk about was the radio. I and knew a you lot are. about That's the radio station. So. What's that? That's what you do now, broadcasting. Yep. Uh, so let's talk about the ACT tests. Apparently, your, I guess your kids, you, you, if they wanted to go to college, they would take the ACT tests. And how did that go over? Because you wrote about how you would study with them and take the press practice exams. Sure. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah. And Kara was barely 16. Richard was just a tiny bit older when they we went down to Utah State and bought several different versions of ACT and SAT study tests and came home and practiced. My feeling of the ACT test is it's not education. You stop your education for a minute and you learn how to take a test and you learn what kind of questions are going to be asked. You learn what, you know, you learn to take a test. And I've done that with a couple of the older boys. Tony did some college as Tyler has a PhD. So, you know, we'd been down the ACT and the college applications before those two. So, okay. Interesting. Tara yeah, had so a scholarship, a, a scholarship to BYU at 16. And so, you know, she did, she did well on her ACT. Tyler did very well on his ACT too. They all did, they all did well. But so it's not like, and I don't mean to make this whole thing about Tara, but I've got to bring this up. It's not like Tara was sneaking around, like she said in her book, trying to study for the ACT. You all knew about it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And Definitely the same in goes there. for Tyler. They, they challenged me to take the test and I did and skunked them both. But my stars, I've been homeschooling how many kids for how many years? I better be able to take that test. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't oh, take just the because actual she ACT said it in her book, doesn't. Oh, what? Yeah, you didn't take the actual ACT test, though, did you? You took all the practice tests? Yeah. 
Okay. Tara, Tara went, I mean, you brought her up, so let's finish this. Um, yeah, okay. Tara went to BYU on a scholarship. Now, we live in a little rural community with a tiny little high school. The graduating class each year is between 35 and 40. Okay, one student a year may get into BYU. A lot of them try, okay? Um, for her to go on a scholarship there from a home school was at 16. She turned 16 in September. And she already had her scholarship in place. She started in January. That was because of how she did on the ACT. Okay. She yeah. did an amazing score at a very young age. That, yeah, this sneaking around to study it. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> not quite the way that went. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I agree with you about the tests. I personally, if I had it my way, I would do away with multiple choice tests in college. I think all they do is trip you up. I notice I have done much better in just memorizing the answers and putting them down on paper yeah. as opposed to multiple choice tests. And there is something to be said about what you just said up to a point. I agree with you that the tests are more of a measurement of the teacher, although I think it's a measurement of the student too, because a student has to study real hard as I had to in college. But what I have an issue with are these multiple choice, especially both A and B or both C and D or all of the above. It plays mind games with you. And I hate that. Just have me memorize all the answers and I'll put them down or write them in an essay form or something like yeah, that. Yeah, test should like teach. It's a, it's a poorly written test that doesn't make the student teach enough to still be learning. Otherwise, that test is a waste of time. Well, I think, though, and I do want to get into that, I took a media law class. And that's where I learned to form an opinion about multiple choice exams. Because what ended up happening is I had to memorize a whole bunch of answers, but I also had to write briefs. I had to learn how to write briefs because that's what lawyers do. And it actually, I felt it made me learn a whole lot more because the chest, the tests were not multiple choice. I had to learn a whole lot more in the book in order to answer the questions correctly. So I actually felt like the teacher was doing me a good service by not having multiple choice exam. What do you think? Or oh, absolutely. There's no benefit to a multiple choice exam. You know, my own scholarship to BYU was based, as I told you, on reading the classics, reading them all. And then when you went down there, they assigned you two to write, and you had to write several pages of what that author was trying to make you think about and form an opinion and give an opinion. Every book should do that. That's what education is about. It's learning to think and make up your own mind and put facts together. Multiple choice questions don't do anything but teach you how to color in a little circle with your pencil. <laughs> There's no education there. Yeah, and I really, I really enjoyed my media law class because I was good at memorizing and I was good at picking up a book and memorizing what was in the book. And of course, it helped that he we took notes and most of the questions were off his notes. But gosh, in order to write a brief for a case, yeah, I had to study that case. I couldn't just go off of the notes and. That's where I actually have changed my opinion about multiple choice tests. Yes. Yeah. Waste of time. Yeah. Oh. Oh. All right. I have to get into this a little bit. 
I know it's a touchy subject, but let's talk about Terra for just a few minutes. We're not going to bash Terra, just so you know, we're oh, listeners. We're not going to bash good thing. Terra. You wouldn't get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know. I, I, I'm dying to know something. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. Well, it sounds like you educated your kids pretty well. What was the issue that she was writing about in her book that she didn't know what the Holocaust was? Do you know anything? What what possessed her to write that? Sounds have, like you educated your kids pretty well. I have no idea because I have given away many, many copies of Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. Yes, yeah, even quoted read it that together. Book. Yeah. We read that together. <laughs> I don't know why, why she okay. would say that. Tara was interested in music, in plays, in she had a little little job at the neighbors one hour a day, putting his nut. He ran a computer to, to do the shipping. She had interests. You had to sit Tara down and make her learn. She and you know, one of my kids told me once, Mom, you can make me do it, but you can't make me remember it. And we did that math book more than once, you know. Oh. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see who that wasn't Tara. But, you know, no, I, I don't know what possessed her to say that. Uh, that makes no sense to me. That was kind of a topic that you discussed around the dinner table. You know? so, wow. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine you would. No one that knew us well would have believed that. No, there's no yeah. way she didn't know about the Holocaust. Oh, so, well, yeah. Well, it's because she paid a lot more attention to um those fun little books about the, oh, what? Now it's gone right out of my head. The Hobbit, but not that one. Yeah. Oh, Harry Potter? Yeah, Harry Potter. I finally had to read those just so I could keep up with the conversations on the way to singing lessons, you know? (laughs) Well, one thing I do want to get back to education, I thought it was a really cool story about how, and I meant to, I got a little off track talking about the radio, that's my obsession, of course. But I wanted to tie that back into Richard. You had a pretty, I don't know if it was your idea. I think it was Tony's idea. Somebody, let's make, uh, let's have these mailboxes. I assume that these mailboxes had a, an address where Richard had to deliver papers to or something. They were he just scattered just about. Little cardboards to make little houses. And it started real simple with just numbers and then numbers and letters and then simple words. And my kids, they worked hard to help with his things they would they would draw letters in the sandbox and have him try I mean whatever it took to help him learn to read yeah whatever like I said but it and it came and I look at children now you know so how do I feel when I see a homeschool child who can't read well I've seen seniors graduate from high school that can't read how do I feel about that you can only assume the child had a learning disability and his loving parents were doing the best they could and I've seen kids come along. Luke has a couple of boys who've struggled, and he will tell you the same as I did, that reading the scriptures together helped turn it around. I think mm-hmm. regular foot zones, my little daughter-in-law knows how to foot zone too. You, you just work with the child. You learn to teach him the way he learns. And you, you Tell us about it. foot zoning real quick. What is it? We're not going to get into the regulations. What is it? And how do you use it to better improve your life? Because I actually learned about it from you. And then I talked to someone who actually used it, who you know. I won't mention the name on the podcast because I didn't get permission. I can tell you afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. A foot zone is based on, a. I think it 
first one I heard about came out of Sweden. And it's based on the idea that your foot or your hand or even your head is a map of your body. And I can pick up your foot and figure out if you're doing a kidney infection or just about anything else from there. And it's a, it's an interesting thing. I've been doing it for 26 years now. It's a long, long time. An amazing thing what you can do from a foot zone. One of our early experiences, the Balinese boys had been fighting a fire and their lungs were full of smoke. When they came home, I was brand new, green as could be. I worked Val's foot, the boys ran off to a, to a dance and daddy got out of bed in the morning and went to work and the boys did not. It took them a couple of days because their lungs were pretty badly smoked. You can make a lot of difference with a foot zone to what's going on. Yeah, I would imagine so. Now, now let's... Had, I was working on one of the grandchildren yesterday for a minute and her friend was here, obviously hadn't heard about it. And she, I heard her say to her, my little granddaughter, she walked away, she said, your, your grandma was talking about your organs and she was rubbing your foot. <laughs> she was totally amazed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I've actually heard of people having kidney problems or whatever, and they got foot zone. I don't want to mention names, but I've heard of this happening, and I thought it was kind of hokey, but then somebody that I knew said, oh, so-and-so did it, and I thought, oh, well, maybe I ought to check into it then. It sounds hokey when you read it, but then when it happens yeah. to someone you know, you think, oh, maybe my it's daughter in law My daughter-in-law came up several times a night those first weeks after Val was burned. She had a set of baby twin boys, just only a few weeks old. And she came up several times during the night to work his feet, to keep his lungs and to keep him breathing. And it, I mean, I could have done it, but it was something she could do that took stress off me. And it made a significant difference. It was interesting thing for her to get up and walk. They were living just down the hill from us. And she'd walk up here several times during the night just to sit and work his feet for a so few minutes. If I had a bad back, which I sometimes do get a bad back, would you foot zone me? Absolutely. Interesting. Figure out if that was a disc out or if you'd strained a muscle or, you know, if there was a circulatory problem, you bet. Absolutely. And then if it was a strained muscle or a disc went out, what would you do then? If it was a disc there, that's a way complicated question for right here without any drawings or charts, but you can help realign a disc and separate a disc and send them home with the right herbs to rebuild the disc. <laughs> you know, what we've done that more than once. Okay. It's yeah, not man. easy. It takes time. One, one man I worked with, I told him to stay right in bed for several weeks while we rebuilt that thing. And it, it oh, wow. So what, what would you do if I just pulled a muscle, which usually is what happened? Well, I think I may see. have had a kidney stone once, but I never did anything about it. I think I may have. I'll get into why later. I don't want to get into this on the podcast right now. Uh, what was the question? You lost me. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So what if I just strained a muscle? I didn't pull a disc. Then what would you, what would you well, do? I'd, I'd work it good from the foot. And then, you know, back in just the herbal days, we'd put a, a herbal pack on it. Now, of course, we would use the essential oils to take the pain and the strain out of the out of the back so yeah yeah interesting um okay so let's let's get back to tara again we're not bashing tara i'm not going to do that uh larry's not going to do that either but do you have hope that well first do you think tara's happy or do you hope she is 
Oh my, there's only one question a, a mother and a father can say to that is, yes, we hope so. We hope she's happy. How else could you possibly feel? And do we think she'll come home? Yeah, we hope she will. That's of course that is, you know. Because yep. I would imagine it would be, it's very hard for you to talk about or think about, or I'm sure you have a lot of mixed emotions going through you. No, mostly now I feel peace. This will work out in the end. It, it, really? It'll come. Yep. I don't think it'll be an easy return, but we're praying people when heaven wants us to know how to deal with it. He'll tell us it'll, it'll be a. It'll be a good experience. Well, let me ask you this, and you don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but do you see any miracles happening with Tara right now or the relationship with you and her? It'll take a miracle right now. I, I send her little pictures when I find a cute picture of her. I saw one today that I hadn't seen before. She's sitting in a tree, and I'm well, I will be sending that one tomorrow with a couple of questions about her life and she will answer politely and I don't push too often. And we, but, we but do you find that in and of itself a miracle? Let's say maybe, yeah. and I don't know, but let's, let's just say for sake of conversation, maybe five, 10 years ago, you couldn't do this with Tara. So do you find that in and of itself a miracle or something like that? There was never a time she wouldn't respond to an email. Oh, Okay. She might, you know, whine about it a minute, but no, she's, I've, I've worked hard to keep that relationship open as much as I can. So. Okay. Well, that's good. Now, uh, Relay, do you want to ask any questions? I know Relay is working ever so hard in the back to in the behind the scenes to take notes. I just want to see if she that, has any questions. Relay and Larie, it's kind of hard to tell which one of us you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very well. All right. Sorry, my headset died. And so I'm oh, no. strictly off my computer now. And I, I missed some of this stuff. Um, oh, that's okay. I did one. I did have a question back here. I'm going back through my notes here. See if I can find it. Um, I lost it. Sorry, I got <laughs> caught up with my headset and trying to keep up and I lost where the question was. So I think it has something to do with herbs and stuff oh i was gonna say um you know the scriptures especially the doctor and covenants talks about using herbs um instead of the enemy's um medicines basically so you know using herbs and plants and stuff like that is has a long long history from the beginning of time and and the Lord has provided everything we need to treat every ailment that comes our way. We just have to do our research and remember that. And, you know, we're also blessed with the power of the priesthood and priesthood blessings as well. So, you know, I think that's one thing that people have kind of strayed away from is that, you know, it's more, 
rely more on Western medicine than what the Lord gave us. Now I know that Western medicine is good for a lot of things. And I always felt like the two should go hand in hand. And and now more and more doctors are, if you can find a good naturopathic doctor, they, they are more holistic than Western medicine. And they're starting to make a, a huge, that industry is starting to make themselves hugely known. I have a really good naturopathic doctor right now that I work with, with, um, I was exposed to mold a few years ago. And so I'm working with her and she's been really helping me out. So, but I can't find that question. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, let me just make a point here. Uh, I am not, I want to make this clear. I don't think Lurie is or relay. I am not anti-Western medicine. As a matter of fact, I took, um, antibiotic just recently because i didn't know how to cure it any other way and gosh if i'm traveling and don't have oils with me or don't know what i'm doing and i have real bad strip yeah i'm gonna go get it checked out by a doctor as a matter of fact i went on vacation a few weeks ago and i had a real bad sore throat i went to a doctor just to make sure i didn't have strep thank goodness i didn't so i just gargled a bunch of essential oils and use those like crazy along with smoked salmon actually salmon really helps with a sore throat if it's fresh um so and i would have taken the medicine if i had strep thank heavens i didn't but i i I at least wanted to know because i was going on vacation and i didn't want to deal with something like this without a plan so i am not anti-western medicine and i don't think any of you are either but uh I think in my opinion, there has to be a balance somewhere. And that's, I just want to make that clear to people. Yeah. I'm not anti Western medicine either. I am anti drug side effects. If you can find yeah. a natural way to do it, that feeds nutrition yeah. rather than sets you up for a nutritional deficiency. Why would you not use it? But, yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, doctors and what they know and what they can do. And if they have a, answer i haven't done my homework and i don't have an answer yes huh? well here's the thing let me just give you a better example i have foot problems i've actually mentioned this in a pre in a podcast two years ago go look up michelle jorgensen who is a dentist who really actually went and saw um there was an incident where i had a really bad infection on my foot and i knew if i didn't get this treated it was just get worse and worse and worse so, yes, I did go to a doctor and they gave me cream and eventually they gave me medicine and cream to take. I had more instruction on how to take the cream, put it on my skin. And yes, it healed up real nicely. The problem was I kept having to beg my doctor for a prescription of this cream and I got tired of it. So that's how I got into oils. And about a month or two ago, actually, when I met you, uh, Lori, you gave me some advice. I actually put frankincense, lavender, and tea tree on my foot. And that wasn't working. But what I did is I put a Band-Aid on where I put the oils and left it there for about 12 hours. And it was starting to work very nicely. So, yeah, to your point, Lori, there's things you can do if you know about them. But, again... I am not anti-Western medicine. In fact, my belief, there's some cases where I think Western medicine is needed. And if anything, I think we've probably learned how the body works, thanks to medical school and such. Uh, What do you think? Well, that's a lot of questions all at once. I think 
the main difference between herbal and plants and essential oils over drugs is that they are natural. They are God created. He endowed their living things. They have their own personalities, their own strengths, their own. You're, you're thinking in a whole different way when you are herbal. And the time, the time for learning is past when the crisis hits. You know, you better have yeah. done your homework first and have the things you need. Yes, oh, thank goodness I had essential oils and band-aids with some me. Good doctor friends that have responded when I need them. And mm -hmm. yeah, not but every every drug has a side effect. And that would be silly to take something for the side effect of something else that you took for the side effect of something else that you took instead of feeding the body what God created and endowed with his own personality and loving care and kindness. It's a much gentler way to heal. Than yeah. Well, I, I just want to run this by you real quick. And then, uh, Relay, if you have another question, then I will have one more question for you, Lurie. And by the way, if you don't mind, stay with me at the end of this podcast. I just want to do a debriefing. But I had strep throat back in 1999, my senior year of high school. I had a very unusual case of it. I was not nauseated or anything like that but i definitely had strep i took medicine and it took 10 days i you know i had to do the thing where you had to take i think one pill twice a day and i didn't notice so when you say it had side effects i didn't notice any side effects what side effects do you think it would have had because i never had strep since then actually now i'm sure an herb would have worked or an oil but i didn't know of any what side effects do you think i had and why do you think i didn't get it again after that what I've learned about drug side effects, and I spent some time researching this, is that because they are toxic, the body links them to innocuous substances in order to pass them through the kidneys and the colon. And depending on what you are nutritionally deficient of is the side effects you will feel. A person who's seriously nutriently deficient will have more side effects than one who's healthy. Um, oh, but I must there, have had a lot of nutrition. <laughs> there was a lot of research done, you know, linking, okay, uh, the side effect of a certain mineral deficiency is this. And if you knew, if you'd run hair samples, if you knew what that person was deficient in, you could predict the side effects that were coming with whatever drugs. So you think uh, I never felt affected because I had good enough nutrition in me, apparently. Well, that was probably part of it. An antibiotic, I mean, bio means life. So antibiotic is designed to kill. Mm -hmm. and it's indiscriminate. It will kill the good bacteria in your gut as well as the strep throat you're taking. Oh. And you may not have connected the side effect, the diarrhea, the constipation, the roaming. No, I never had any of that. I would have um, known. I never had any of minor, that. Then that was good. It, you were one of the few. People who've taken a lot of antibiotics inevitably will have digestive issues. It can't be avoided. And oh. It may manifest as allergies. It may manifest as, as something else entirely. But it can be hard if people have taken a lot of drugs to, to even know where the problem lies. You know. Yeah. Relay, do you want to comment on this real quick before we move on to the last question? Well, yeah. And, you know, you can take antibiotics, um, which is what I recently had to do. I just found out I, a few weeks ago, I had an infection in my tooth and had to have a root canal done. 
my dentist put me on an antibiotic, but he also told me about a probiotic that I could take that would help as well, because it does kill everything and causes a lot of gut problems and a probiotic um, can help bring that back into function the way it should. So, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, I think in the end, you need to just do as much education about everything and make a decision for yourself, yeah. whether you want to take something or not and how you want to handle it in, in the long run. You know, like I said, the Western medicine is great, but you know, we have herbs and oils as well that absolutely go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me, that was just one example is the antibiotics. I had to take an, uh, probiotic at the same time to keep my gut from having any serious side effects. And it was helpful. So yeah, one of, one of the things about an antibiotic is if it doesn't kill, that's why they say, take it clear to the end of the bottle. If it does not kill everything, what has resisted it has become stronger and it will be antibiotic resistant. Oh yeah. Yep. That's true. That was predicted 40 years ago. Somebody read us an article in Relief Society when I was just a young newlywed, you know. Oh, I was uh, real good friends with a nurse. She could tell you horror stories about somebody that didn't take their antibiotic all the way through. Yeah, that's true. Well, Relay. All all uh, bacteria uh, everywhere are becoming more resistant. It's becoming a harder fight with everything. Just antibiotic-resistant stuff are... Very, very common. MRSA, nothing. No, that was a fun fight um, because it is antibiotic resistant. And, but a little few drops of Melissa oil or a little frankincense and sandalwood will often do what an antibiotic can't do because what they had has become resistant to it. Yeah. Well, Lorraine, last question. What is your favorite part of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Oh, going to or serving in the temple or being married there or accompanying my kids there. Temple is the center, the center of my life and everything that we do. Oh, yeah, but great. Well, folks, I think we had a very good podcast. Um, as usual, I know they go on long. I try to keep them short, but we have so much to cover. And I think it was a very enlightening podcast. And I will talk to you all later, folks. Thank you for listening to the LDS Life Podcast.